This is Jesse Borrego. Come watch my new film, Phoenix, Oregon at phoenixoregonmovie.com. And this is Inside Your Head. And I never asked to grow up, so please don't make me do it. I wasn't meant to grow up, don't think I'll make it through it. Things have been going south since I hit puberty. It looks like growing up is just too much for me. Welcome to Inside Your Head. This is Nasty Neil, and I'm joined by Diedrich Bader of Office Space and Napoleon Dynamite, the voice of Batman, and the upcoming, well, actually, it's out right now, Phoenix, Oregon. It's very cool to have you here. Thank you very much. Yes. So Phoenix, Oregon, it's out now. It's it's because uh, we live in a very weird time right now, and yeah. so you can you can watch it at home. You basically go to the website, phoenixoregonmovie.com, and you buy like a movie ticket, and you can watch it at home. Yeah, totally. Um, because um, obviously, it can't be in theaters, so they're trying a different kind of distribution. And you know, um, a lot of people have really nice televisions anyway. So I mean, like big, big flat screen TVs are not uh, the luxury thing that they once were. So you know, hopefully, people will see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I talked about it before in the show, but for people who haven't listened to the previous interviews, uh, could you give them an idea what the movie's about? Okay, yeah, James Legro, who's a fantastic actor, he's been around a really long time. He's been a friend of mine for 30 years, I'd say, um, and uh, we've never actually worked together. But So this is a great opportunity for me. Anyway, James was, uh, has been great in an incredible number of movies. He's like an indie god. Um, anyway, he plays a guy who's uh, sort of down on his luck. He was a, uh, wanted to uh, write and draw cartoon. Uh, I'm sorry, comic books. And a uh, really creative guy that ended up uh, getting stuck in a, um, in a dead-end job working for a terrible boss in a restaurant that he hates. Um, I'm the terrible boss, by the way. And uh, James uh, kind of bonds with the chef, who is like a, a really, um, he's a really good chef, but he's not allowed to really express himself because of the, the manager, again, the owner, uh, myself, who's, again, truly awful. Um, and, uh, and, but he wants to express himself and make really good pizzas like he learns how to make the perfect dough like um and the uh um uh and the toppings and um and james's character really wants to open a bowling alley so these two crazy kids get together and they open a bowling alley that also serves pizza and it kind of unites the town and sort of lets uh both of them express themselves in a way where they've been stifled before and one of the nice things about it is that the chef is a latino guy and uh, uh, and James's character is accepted into this uh, uh, you know extended Latino family, and it's a sort of a beautiful portrait of uh, the the warm embrace of a of a community like that. And uh, I thought that that particular part of the story is super interesting. Um, but it's a really good, warm-hearted movie. The director Gary Lundgren is a old friend of mine and a really lovely writer, and uh, he uh, he wrote a, a really beautiful piece i think i think a lot of people will associate with it it's a little movie you know don't expect uh, any cgi um and shot over an incredibly short period of time but uh but i think it it touches on something universally human and uh, i agree it's very relatable uh, oh you've seen it yeah oh nice oh cool oh that's great you prepared i love that yes yes (laughs) right yeah prepared right and there's like said no cg it's all practical pizzas in the movie but no it's a really yeah. good story that i think is really relatable <laughs> and the bowling people. the bowling is actually bowling yeah right right yeah 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 so yeah but yeah really relatable movie and um everyone's great in it including yourself and Thank uh you. uh what i like um how do i say i don't want to say older actors but uh because i i'm i'm an older guy myself but the <laughs> uh but sometimes you watch a movie and it's all you know young adults and that's fine but I, it's more interesting to me to see the people that have lived a bit of a life because I think they're more interesting people, which make them more interesting actors. Yeah, and um, James has always been an interesting actor, but he's only gotten more complex. I mean, mm-hmm. what's fascinating about watching James' work is that you can't see the work. He's so effortless in what he does, but when you see it on the big screen, you realize, oh, that's everything. It's everything. He, he does it all. He's thinking everything, and it's just like... Uh, Louis Armstrong, you know, when he, when he was a young guy, he, he played, uh, really fast and, uh, just, you know, would, would, uh, stick a ton of notes in there. And as he got older and older, he played fewer notes, but you realize that all of the notes were just the right ones. 
And uh, I think that's what happens with James. Mm-hmm. I think some of the characters could have been in like a different movie would have been more like caricatures, like James character and your character, but they're yeah. fleshed out where they're, they're real people and make, which makes the movies, you know, seem uh, more realistic. What's lovely about Gary's writing is that he'll always have, he'll always defy your expectations as to what a character is really like, because people are full of contradictions. Um, and, uh, he allows that in his scripts. And most of the time, um, when you work with writers, uh, especially when they have a bigger budget, you know, they, they want a character to fit into a certain frame. Um, you know, it's just easier writing and it's also easier for the audience, frankly. So it's really nice that Gary gives, uh, an actor an opportunity to play a full rounded person. Yeah. My manager could have been just awful, but, um, and you know, he's not the greatest guy, but what's interesting about him is that he's, he's actually got his own problem. <laughs> he's got his yeah. own problem. And, uh, um, and Gary allows that to happen. And, and, you know, when, when he's losing at the, at the, uh, bowling tournament, you, you get the fact that this guy, he really doesn't have much. And, uh, and, you know, and these guys walked off and left him without a cook and a head waiter and, and mm-hmm. things are not easy for him. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, as you say, like in a, in a, in a bigger budget movie, you wouldn't be able to have those contradictions. And, uh, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah. So since you were friends with Gary and James beforehand, is like that, is that how you got involved in the movie? Oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. They give a call. Um, and you know, uh, for me to leave my family is, I just don't, I don't like doing it. So I have to know that I'm going to have a good time. Um, and, uh, and it's going to be short. So, uh, when Gary called, I was like, yeah, but not that many days. Right. So we're going to shoot all my stuff. And he was like, Oh yeah, no, that's the schedule. So it all worked out. Um, I, uh, I had a largely absentee father, uh, who I love very much, but I did see a hell of a lot. Okay. And, uh, um, and I swore to myself that I wouldn't be the, the same person. It's one of the reasons that I've, uh, largely stuck to doing television. Um, it's because, uh, it shoots in town. Right. Well, as soon as you said that, I thought maybe it's also, um, it could be a reason why you did a lot of the voice acting because I don't know how much that involves you leaving, you know, for a long extended period of time. Oh yeah. I mean, um, when the kids were super little and, and life was just amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, all I did was voiceovers and occasional guest star spot, but, um, all I did was voiceovers because I would go in, um, uh, except for Batman Brave and the Bold, where I read with all the actors, which was super fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd ask that I went in alone so I could just bang it out in um, a couple of minutes like I did. <laughs> uh-huh. I did, um, I think it was four Phineas and Ferbs in <laughs> less than 20 minutes. <laughs> um, so I just go in, bang them out, and then, you know, leave. Um, and then I get back to the kids because it's, uh, it's super great. And I tried to schedule it around the time when they were both napping. Um <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, uh, uh, that that said, you know, the, uh, uh-huh. the only reason I was able to afford any of that was that I was on the Drew Carey show for nine years. So right, right. I, I don't want any dad listening to this thinking that, that they're not a good dad because they weren't able to do the same thing. <laughs> right. I, could, I, like could afford to, I could afford to not make that much during mm-hmm. that time because I had already, already made enough to, uh, uh, to take care of us, at least at a reasonable level for a while. And, mm-hmm. you know, make it through it uh, to a time when... The kids didn't want to hang out with me anymore. They were in school. Yeah. It's a couple of things I want to ask you about that. Um, one thing is like, how do you, how did you like get, become a voice actor? Like besides having a very interesting voice, I guess, like, uh, like, uh, I don't know how someone would, would, uh, you know, go into that. Do you just like, uh, go to auditions like a normal, uh, like a physical acting job? Um, yeah, I audition like crazy. Usually at my, uh, agents, um, they have a booth and I walk in and I do it there. Um, and you know, for every, uh, I don't know, 10, 15 auditions, you get one job. Um, so you, the, the biggest part of the job is actually auditioning for the job or trying to get the job. Um, but, um, that said, it started off, uh, with an offer, um, by Jamie Thomason. And he was the one who really got my career started. He was a casting director and he cast me because I was on camera on the Drew Carey show and he thought I had an interesting voice and brought me in. They're always interested in bringing just to mix up the world. Uh, they're always interested in bringing in on camera actors, uh, to do, um, voiceovers because it, uh, it's a very small, very cloistered world of guys that work, uh, guys, obviously and women by mm-hmm. me saying guys. Yeah. Um, right. yeah. Um, 
It's a, it's a very small world of people that work all the time, so they try to mix it up a little bit and bring in some on-camera actors. Um, and uh, anyway, we had a good time. We liked each other, uh, became friendly, and he's the one who kind of spread my name around and got my uh, career started. And then Andrea Romano took it to the next level by casting me as a regular in the Zeta Project. Um, and she's a she's a, a good friend of mine, too. She's a lovely lady. Uh, uh, and she also cast me in Batman Brave and the Bold. So, uh, so yeah, it's a number of people. As I said, it's, it's all up to a very small world of casting directors. There's literally like 10 of them, and uh, they do all the shows. Yeah, that's why. Um, just when you actually do a voice, like um, how, much, how much is it like you're coming up with, with how you're going to actually sound and like uh, the direction from whoever's making the, uh, the cartoon or whatever it is you're doing? Yeah, so it's a it's a shared thing. So um, you come in with what you I, if you auditioned, you come in basically with the the character as is. But if you got, just got an offer or you're a regular on the show doing another character, and then they want you to create a character, a secondary character, it's basically it's this. You come up with what you you know do first, and then you sort of shape it from there. Like uh, you know. Um, you know the personality of the tone of the show, so you try to go from there. Uh, like, uh, let's see, for example, uh, I had to do Ben 10, and I played a spider monkey on there, and Dee Bradley Baker played the other spider monkey. Um, so I listened to what Dee was doing, and it was lucky enough that Dee was there, um, and I listened to what he was doing, and so I did a variation based on that. Initially, I sounded too much like him, and then uh, we kind of shifted it so it sounded like in the same world, because they're obviously both spider monkeys. Um, so, so that's kind of, it, it sort of shapes and morphs. Um, some people are better at adjusting than others. Um, one of my favorite experiences in Hollywood period um, actually was this uh, actor named John DiMaggio, um, who is a great voiceover actor. His creation of Aquaman um, happened right in front of me, and he had a very different voice when he came in, and then Andrea Romano and he sort of shaped it, it uh, shaped it, and he he went through, like, I don't know, ten different versions of the voice, and then it was crazy, because when he hit it, it just sounded like it was a voice that always was there, and we just sort of dusted it off, or it's like a sculpture coming out of the stone, where you go, oh, that sculpture was always inside that stone. We just needed to we just needed to release it. And when he said it, everybody in the room like looked around like, oh my God, that was, that's a great voice. And, uh, and he became uh, a big recurring uh, part on Batman Brave and Bold because he was so fun to write for. Do you, do you always get to see the character before you like do the voice? Cause I would think that would help, you know, shape what the voice is going to be. Sometimes, sometimes not. Sometimes the artist has created what he wants the character to be like, and he brings the sketch in, or she brings the sketch in and shows you. Other times, it's really just on the page. They have a brief description. So you have to, in your mind, create what he's looking like. I mean, one of the fun things about doing voiceover is, you know, a lot of people have the misunderstanding that, you know, you're doing it to the animation. But they animate after you have created the voice. So, um, So it's really like playing. It's like when you're a little kid and you're with your friends and you create this whole world and you have these different voices and you have to create the whole world in your head. Um, animation is like that. And in that way, it's, it's the closest to, you know, the original time when you started acting as a, as a child or because or, everybody's acting together, you know, and, and, uh, and it's sort of beautiful that way. Yeah. So someday I should actually get like an animator on Cause it'd be interesting to see if they animate around, you know, how the voices sound and, uh, you know, I mean, kind of a reverse of what I just asked you. Oh, totally. You should have uh, uh, James Tucker on. He's a great intelligent guy. And, uh, we're, I worked with him for years on Batman brave and the bold and he's super, super bright. And, uh, and you know, I, I think you'd be interested. All right. That'd be, yeah. That'd be very cool. So nothing I did want to ask too, cause you said about, you know, um, doing the drew Carey show that afforded you to, um, to do, you know, not work constantly, you know what I mean? Doing like some TV and stuff. So the, yeah. um, how has that changed over time with like the rise of, uh, of all the, uh, the streaming websites? Cause obviously there'd be more platforms to like to have to work on, but has oh, yeah. that affected, does that affected like, uh, the pay, I guess. 
which I don't normally talk about, you know, money on the show. Has it affected the pay? Oh, yeah. it has. Um, you know, a lot of the streaming shows and a lot of the cable shows that just shoot for 10 episodes or whatever, they don't have much money. Um, so they pay their actors very little. It's about artistic expression. It's about you having an ability to stretch out as an actor or do something that uh, is different uh, than what you would normally do. Network television still pays very, very well um, because they're still advertisers. Yeah. You know, when, um, when the revenue stream is just uh, subscription-based or, um, or has, uh, you know, charges less to their advertisers for, uh, for an airing, then there's just less revenue, period, for everyone. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, that's why the Golden Ring is still network television series, because uh, it, it still pays, uh, pays well. I mean, it's not in the glory days, uh, but nobody expects that. Right. So uh, Phoenix, Oregon, which uh, is, uh, you can get and watch at home, which, which is really, do you, do you know, like, uh, right now, like, what the feedback's been like? Everybody is it too early? Uh, people, people that have seen it, um, that have reached out to me, have really liked it. I mean, you know, if you go in for an expectation that it's going to look like a standard Hollywood picture, it's not. It's just mm-hmm. not going to. It's a very small movie. Um, but those that really like independent cinema and and appreciate like a small story, um, it's a, it's a very good, almost novelistic story. Lots of contradictions, lots of interesting characters an unlikely love story that blooms in a very organic way. Um, so I've gotten a lot of really great feedback from it. But that said, I'm really glad that it's, it's uh, finally able to reach a wider audience because only people that have seen it have been on the festival circuit. Yeah. Were you, did you do any of the festivals yourself? I guess maybe not because you didn't want to leave. Uh, you couldn't always... Uh, no, I don't get that do around festivals. Now. I mean, you know, I, I regret uh, when Napoleon Dynamite was at Sundance I didn't go. They invited me, but I didn't go because, you know, my kid was little and yeah. I just, I didn't want to go. <laughs> I didn't want to go. So, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm a real crank about that. It's, it's terrible. It has affected my career in a way that uh, really frustrates my agent. I really, I completely get their perspective. They, they want me to do all, all these things and I'm like, no, that means I'd be out of town for two weeks or no, that means I'll be out of town for two days, even. Like, uh-huh. I don't know. It's just, uh, I don't know. It's just, I don't want to repeat the mistakes of my father. He did a lot of things right. He's a great guy. But, uh, uh, but yeah, it just, uh, I don't want to make the same mistakes. I think that's really commendable. I mean, I don't always talk, but uh, I grew up a single mom. And so I, oh, I didn't uh, even uh, meet my uh, father to like, uh, like, by just circumstance, I ran to him at a video store. But, uh, no kidding. So, no, wow, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah, well, yeah, and then he called me, and he's like, "Do you know who this is?" And and this sounds like I made it up. I really said, "You're no, but you're nobody to me." And you know that was the wow. Last time I but but so I find that very commendable. Oh, cool! Wow. And, and uh, about that, um, like now, obviously you're happy and stuff. But was that ever hard to deal with? Kind of the the balance of um, having a career and also you know wanting to be there for for your kids and your family. Oh yeah, I mean you know um, as we were saying earlier, there's there's nothing is black and white. Um, there were things that I turned down that I would see later and go, Oh God, why, why did I do that? Uh, but then, you know, 10 minutes later, I'd be holding my kid and thinking, Oh yeah, this is why. So everything's good. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, uh, everything has its, you know, and especially since, uh, the, at the last turndown in the, in the market in 2008, uh, you know, uh, it's when I, I was, uh, at the absolute nadir of working on camera, and I, I was making very little money. And uh, um, not that I needed to get to it right away, but to know that I had no backup um, was kind of an intense feeling that I hadn't felt in a very long time, luckily enough. Um, so, yeah, but I couldn't sell any stocks. Like, I, I couldn't. I couldn't. Otherwise, I'd be losing that money. Um, so, uh, so yeah, that was a, that was an intense feeling like, oh my God, what have I done? I, I backed myself into this corner, but it turned out, you know, um, I was okay. Um, we just basically did what we're doing now, which is we didn't spend a lot of money. We didn't go on vacation. We didn't do a lot of things. So we didn't go out to dinner. We had friends over, um, you know, that kind of stuff. We kind of just, uh, took it easy. Mm Mm-hmm. How are you coping through. with the, yeah, how are, sorry to interrupt you there. How are you coping oh. with uh, the, today's world right now? Uh, 
with oh, a self Yeah, I mean, you know, we're we're totally cloistered here. We're completely isolated. We haven't seen anyone in uh two weeks. Um you know, I saw my uh good friend Kevin Conroy uh across the street. Like uh he, he just texted me and said I'm outside and uh, we were we talked to each other from across the street. <laughs> right. Um yeah, but, uh, uh, you know, so life is strange. Um, but I, I think it's important that we not spread the disease and, and try to contain it as much as we can so that people that really need the emergency services can can get them and we don't flood the, um, you know, emergency room. Um, so uh, so we're doing the best we can. Um, but, you know, as a junkie for my kids, it's actually really great because um, uh, I've, I've, I've got them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, right. they can't see their friends. They can't. They don't go to school. They. They. Uh, I. I just see them for lunch. I see them for, you know, uh, for breakfast. I see them for dinner, and it's just great. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So for for me, uh, as a, as a, as a kid junkie, it's it's good. Yeah. But uh, I just I just hope everybody is. Um, you know, yeah, I don't want to yeah. diminish the impact of the disease. Of course, of course. Yeah, I had to go to the ER for because I actually cut my finger really bad chopping carrots. Oh no. Yeah, for beef stew, which I should make up a cooler story, but (laughs) (laughs) yeah, you were fighting a ninja. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, Yeah. and it was literally like flapping over. It wasn't good, and so I was like, I guess I have to go because yeah, you do. You got to get stitched up. Yeah, yeah, and it was a really strange experience going there because they stop you at the door and they they uh, take your temperature right away, and they my brother drove me over and they wouldn't let anyone else in, just the patient. And uh, but everything went fine. But yeah, it was. Uh, it's just being there was pretty scary experience. Just seeing you know all the preca- which it's good they're taking all these precautions. But it oh, it's was- really smart that they are. Yeah, I mean, I think the the group that's really taking this the most seriously is the medical. Uh, you know, um, is people that work in the medical field because uh, they know the consequences of it. I, I don't know if half of America is taking it as, as seriously as it really should. But but uh, that's up to them, I guess. But uh, um, but anyway, yeah, I'd imagine that was very surreal. Even dropping off my dog, my dog had back surgery and, and had some staples, you know, put in his back for it. Um, and just getting the staples out was uh, an experience because, you know, you drive up, you have to stay in the parking lot and then put the dog, like, in his little container on a, like, by this little number and the dogs were uh, self-isolated too and then the guy comes out and he's got gloves and a, um um and you know a mask and uh then takes the dog you don't go in with the dog the dog comes back it was wild I, it's really a different time i mean i've lived through a lot of different stuff and and uh this uh i've never experienced so it's it's um that's a fascinating time yeah i assume uh you're not making anything right now is anything really? No, nobody is. Right now? Yeah. No, nobody is. I mean, I had to record. Uh, you know, uh, there's a thing called ADR, which is when you re-record dialogue that was mm-hmm. recorded badly, or they uh, they uh, it doesn't fit when they get the animation back, or you know, stuff like that. Uh, so I had to do some ADR uh, for Harlequin, and I ended up recording it in my wife's closet because <laughs> <laughs> uh, people are going into the studio to do the mixes, but they'll go in alone. And I will say. Um, Kudos to all of the guys in uh, post-production, uh, the editors and the sound editors, and um, and all of the guys that do music, um, because uh, to go into the office now or to go into the studio now, I know must be a harrowing experience because you don't want to catch anything, and and they're doing it. You know, I mean, like uh, for example, um, you know, we finished our season of American Housewife, and they're still mixing it. Um, so, you know, kudos to them. They're going in every day. Um, yeah, yeah. You mentioned the uh, the um, the festival scene. What we talked about socially. I had a short film in the festivals, and it was going to oh, play this weekend. Thank you very much. And it was going to play. It was my first thing I ever done. And so it was going to cool. play uh, this weekend at Boston Underground Film Festival, which was really special to me because it's I'm, I'm in Massachusetts, so it's local. My first festival I went to. Uh, and we actually filmed it there last year, but you know it's been canceled. Well, it's been postponed. Oh, so right. hopefully this will yeah. happen, you know, sometime yeah. in the in the near future. Yeah, just like the Olympics, it's going to come back. It's going to be fine. Every, everything is going to be fine. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we will return to a normal life uh, at at some point. Mm-hmm. So, uh, how about uh, Jesse Borrego, who I had on uh, recently? It was a great interview. Very interesting guy, and it's been in everything. And uh, working with him on uh, Phoenix, Oregon. What what what's he like? Oh, Jesse is a serious character. Yeah, he's been around forever since fame, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, no, he's a lovely guy. Lives in Texas with his family. Sweet, thoughtful, interesting guy. I, I really enjoyed working with him. Um, we went out to dinner together. He's really nice, a good guy, and works in a very interesting way, very heavily improv-based. So he'll kind of wander around where he's getting to and then get to it at a certain take. And once he gets to it in that take, you're like, whoa, oh, there it is. Um, so, yeah, he works very very differently, really interesting uh, way of working. Yeah. Is that um... – What's that like to work with someone who has a different style than you? Like if someone's more improv, I don't know, maybe you're, you're that way too, but you know, if you have different styles or someone's really has all the lines as, you know, yeah, as they are, it's, it, you're going to have to swing with it. Everybody works differently. You have to swing with it. I'm, uh, hopefully as intuitive as, as the next guy. So I try to, uh, I try to, uh, go with everybody's style. I mean, the jarring thing is when you, first work with them and you realize, oh, this is how they work, like it's going to be different. Um, I'm, uh, my career has largely been in television, so that means that uh, because of the discipline of television, you really only get like two or three takes um, with every setup. So generally, um, I, am, I am how I'm going to be for those first three takes. But then... Um, like you'll see in office space, a lot of things were used from the, you know, the eighth or 10th take because, um, I, I'm so not used to it. So, uh, so, so I'll do something where I'll just, that's when my improv comes out. In other words, like I'll get bored with doing it the same way every time. Um, and then just start throwing things in or changing it or, you know, messing with the other actor in a way that hopefully is still a positive experience for them. Um, so movies are different that way because you get like, you know, you get, uh, I mean, miscongeniality too or something. You get like 20 takes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so you have to mix it up in order to make it entertaining even for yourself. Because if it's not entertaining for yourself, you're not entertaining anybody. Right. Was it Drew Carey show like that since there were a lot of like uh, improv uh, comedians on there? Oh yeah, we would improvise during the week a lot. By the time we got to the show, oh, we would improvise just a little bit. But uh, but all week when we rehearsed, we would mix it up. Um, especially with Ryan, when you're in a scene with Ryan Styles, it just you you better come um, ready to play. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask you about Office Space. I have an odd question, um, though. I guess you wouldn't you wouldn't Google yourself. But do you do you have you ever noticed if you do Google your name, there's many pictures of you with a, with like a really big mullet in the uh oh yeah totally in the photo. i know yeah. that if you if you google two chicks at the same time that i come up <laughs> all right which is kind of strange search yeah yeah, yeah. A yeah. Friend of mine I was, told I me that i was wondering how you found this out i don't know yeah. oh no i was looking for two chicks now uh um no a friend of mine told me and i was like seriously uh because he would think like two ladies would come up but uh nope right. <laughs> that's very interesting so when that when that came out um well, Office Space, like, um, you know, you big hit, but cult favorite. Like, uh, did you get recognized a lot after that? Like, yeah, I guess, like, how did that, like, change things for you? Um, when it came out, I couldn't go to the premiere because it was Tuesday night. and We were shooting the Drew Carey show, so I, okay. I was just oh, doing I guess the show. I couldn't do it. Yeah. And so I went opening weekend um, with my wife, and we were two of three people, and the third person left about halfway through. <laughs> All right. So it was a bomb when it came out, and yes. it was one of the most more searing. On, yeah, or on VHS and DVD. Oh yeah, totally. It was one of the most searing experiences of my life because it made me doubt myself. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, you do movies not for the money, but for the fun of it, and because you think, oh, this is going to be cool. Um, and uh, I thought I have no taste. Uh, my taste does not line up with America. Like um, this, I love this movie. But it's going to bomb, and it's going to do absolutely nothing for me and be totally forgotten. And um, I was really, really sad about it. And then two years later, my wife and I are driving downtown, and there's this, um, <clears throat> excuse me, there's this truck pulls up, old, like, uh, 60s truck, beat up, pale blue thing. There's two guys with tats, and they, like, poke each other, and they're, like, looking over at me, and I, like, give a little wave, like, hey, how you doing? And they rolled down the window and go, what'd you do if you had a million dollars? And I went, two chicks at the same time. Man. <laughs> and um, they laughed like hell, and then the light changed, and they drove away. And I turned to my wife, and I went, that was weird. And my <laughs> wife goes, wasn't that 
that's office space, right? And I go, yeah. And then we drove for in, in silence for a little bit, and she goes, what's happening with office space? And I go, I don't know. Uh-huh. And, uh, and then more and more people would come up to me and ask me that exact same question. Um, or they would just, you know, they wanted to hear quotes, different quotes from the movie, and I was like, what's going on with office space? And then I got a residual check, which was unbelievable. And I was like, oh, my God, Comedy Central has never stopped airing Office Space. (laughs) It's like the airings were crazy how many times they showed it. And then the sales on VHS and then, um, you know, DVD, uh, it just became this thing. But I still didn't watch it. Um, And then 10 years after it was released, we did a 10th anniversary of Office Space. Uh, at a screening in Austin where we shot it. Um, and uh, the whole cast and Mike came, uh, w- with the exception of the uh, number one and two on the call sheet. Uh, and uh, they were there. And uh, the screening sold out in like minutes or something, and people drove from all over. And it was like the Rocky Horror Picture Show in that everybody knew every line. And uh, the laughter was like so huge, it would just cascade down the audience through the theater and then hit the screen and bounce back. It was just amazing. And that was the full journey of that movie from a bomb where it was my wife and, and another guy who left and, and, uh, and then 10 years to that. So that's the only other time I saw it. And I don't think I'm ever going to see it again because it can't just, it just can't top that experience. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I see, is it weird to watch something with yourself in it? Oh yeah, I'm constantly disappointed. In my head, I look like a young Sean Connery. <laughs> right, right. No, I got it. Uh, not that I've been in very many things, but the, the, when I was watching the the short film with the festivals before, you know, they couldn't go. It's, it's yeah, it's, it's, it was not a fun experience at first. Uh, going oh no, it's a big myself. disappointment because yeah, in your head you're like, I'm amazing. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, but I got laughs. So I was happy about that. I was yeah, very no, no. It's very rewarding to get a laugh. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right, right. And as an actor, you got to see a movie twice because you don't really know. Oh, the first time, the only thing you're doing is listening for your lines mm-hmm. uh, and see if you get your laugh. Uh, you, you know, you got to go back to actually see the film. Yeah. But uh, but yeah. So no, it is an interesting experience. That said, uh, I have watched uh, all of American Housewife uh, mm-hmm. because it's uh, it's something I can watch with my kids. So we we sit down and watch it together, and that's fun. Yeah. yeah. Uh, along the lines though about like something that so office space comes out of bombs and then you know it it becomes like this cult hit in a way is that more fulfilling even though like at first it's like really disappointing well it's a little like uh john lennon's um working class hero is 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 something to be um uh, yeah being a cult favorite is is really really cool um uh, it's probably the coolest uh, and I think ultimately helps your career. But, you know, obviously if a movie is more successful, mm-hmm. it, uh, uh, initially at a box office, it gets you more work. Yeah. Um, and that's the only thing that executives pay attention to. Um, you know, and it, it's, it's frustrating as, a, as an actor because you get in the room because the, the creative people, uh, the director, the writer, the casting director, uh, have seen Office Space or other things, and they're like, this this would be an interesting choice for us to go this way. Mm-hmm. And you get approval there. This has happened to me so many times. It's crazy. You get approval there and they're like, okay, so you got to, you got, you, they're going to go take your tape up to the next level. And what generally happens in my career is that then the executive looks at it and goes, yeah, but it bombed. Mm. They just look at the you know? numbers. Yeah. Yeah. The numbers are all that it's everything. It's everything they're fixated on. That's why actors that you don't necessarily think are so great that are in these really big movies that make tons of money, they continue to work even though they're okay. I mean, they're all right. Uh, but they're associated with success, uh, Mm -hmm. financial success, not critical acclaim or, you know, cult, uh, status, (laughs) you know, cult status is super cool in other words, but you (laughs) you can't can't monetize it. Yeah. Uh, I always, uh, I might be wrong here, but I always assume that some, like someone who's artistic on the creative level, um, is there, is it hard to have the balance between like being a creative artist and also the business sense of, of, of the movie business and show business? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, 
when you're a kid, you're all artistic sensibility, but as you get older, you know, you have to make a living at it. So, so you have to put on your business cap at a certain level. Um, you know, we're a, we're a single income uh, household. So, uh, I have to think about how to provide for my wife and children. Yeah. And I guess that would, uh, if you're a single person too, it wouldn't, it, like you said, being younger, you have a different thing also being, you know, if you're single and don't have people that depend on you. Yeah. If you don't have dependents, you can do whatever you want. I'd be out of town constantly. Um, you know, when, um, when I started my career and before I met my wife, uh, I, w- I was very rarely in town. Um, uh, you know, because it's, it's fun to go and look at location is great. Um, if you're not in a relationship because you're not missing anybody and, uh, it's different and, uh, you meet a lot of new people. And I love, uh, I love talking to people that I don't know and, and, um, um, yeah. And, and going to new cities and having experiences and all that. But then that, the joy of that is diminished when you're missing somebody, you know, cause you mm-hmm. wanted to share it with somebody traveling is fantastic. But if you're alone and you're in a relationship, you, you, you keep seeing it through the prism of, I would love to be able to show the person that I love so much this experience that I'm having. And there's only so far that my story about this experience can, can take them, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, since you're in both like a lot of independent stuff, uh, like Phoenix, Oregon, and then also yeah. like a, a voice of Batman. And, uh, and um, so you're on both kind of sides here, the rise of the superhero stuff and also independent films. So what are your thoughts on the rise of superhero uh, movies and stories? Well, I think they're extremely well made. Uh, so yeah, no, I mean, I appreciate the way that they're crafted. Uh, I appreciate that, that they're kind of like myths. Um, you know, uh, that said, you know, you look at the seventies or even earlier, there are more complex characters and they're closer to, you know, humans. They, they, uh, they have flaws, they have contradictions. They, um, you know, it just more interesting storytelling. But, uh, you know, everybody loves a myth, um, which is essentially what we're telling. Um, so, uh, so, I mean, they're super fun, and they're incredibly well-made. And there is some complexity to some of the characters, but largely their motivations are pretty clear. Mm-hmm. Do you think, um, like a lot of uh, big budget, uh, right now there's no theaters, but do you think a lot of the, because that's a lot of things people talk about, like the big budgets, the Marvel movies and stuff, that yeah. hurts other movies being able to be in the theater? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I think people's viewings uh, habits have changed in a way that I don't think will ever go back. Um, they, uh, they're they going to watch, um, you know, you look at something like, um, well, Succession on HBO. It's as good as any movie ever was. Um, it's, a, it's a beautiful piece of work. Is there still going to be room for smaller movies? Yeah, there will be. I think people will still go to independent cinema, and I think that, um, you know, through cable and the rise of streaming, that, um, mm-hmm. that there's going to be the ability to see uh, smaller productions that will still continue. But I think on the big screen, um, you know, superhero movies are just dominating everything. And the problem with it is that the studios can no longer make these smaller movies. They, they don't, they're not interested in making movies that are um, shot between 5 and $15 million because all of their money is eaten up with these budgets of $400, $500 million movies. Um, you know, there's only so much money to spend, in other words. Um, and they're not interested in it. Um, so uh, so there will always be, like, smaller venue, but there's not going to be the mid-level movies. Yeah. Uh, which uh, which was, uh, frankly, a lot of the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm someone who, when when you can go to the theater, I go and see, like, pretty much everything I can go see. But I realize I'm cool. in the minority. But, uh, but Yeah, you're totally you know, in the me, minority. There's, yeah, there's the, and I go to see older movies, which, even if you see the movie a bunch of times, seeing on the big screen is, uh, it, it is, uh, for me, a, a fun experience and uh, the best oh, way to yeah, see it. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, you, you see something like The Third Man, on the big screen and it'll change your life. Um, you know, that's the way it's meant to be seen. It, it's a big canvas and it wasn't made to be seen, uh, in a, in a, you know, on postcards. Um, but, uh, you know, but like I was saying earlier, the big screen television is, is, uh, it is yeah. it's, it's pretty good. And mm-hmm. the sound system, I mean, it's not like, you know, when, uh, when I first got a big screen TV, it was, it was so expensive. And, uh, and now I, I mean, I went to, uh, Best Buy or whatever, and uh, and I you know I asked to see the 
the the widescreen televisions, and they were like, "Well, there, there, that's all we got." And, <laughs> right, uh, there are no other. Right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And the and the price point was okay, and I just kept thinking, "Are you guys not showing me like the the, the good stuff?" Because it had been uh-huh. so long since I'd gone shopping. But then I realized, no, this is really it. And then I looked at the quality, and I thought, "Oh my god, it's so much better than what I have at home." Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, you, you can get a theater-like experience. Now, the thing that's different, though, is sitting and watching with a group, which is super fun when you go to a comedy or... I mean, you know, that's why horror movies still work. I guess that's the only real mid-priced movie that still works Mm -hmm. uh, as a theatrical experience for people because it's fun to scream with everybody, you know? And it's like going on a roller coaster ride. It's Mm -hmm. pretty rare that you want to go on a roller coaster ride alone. You like hearing everybody else shouting, too. Yeah. Yeah, those definitely are the two things. I'm a big horror movie. I'm just a movie fan, but uh, I know I'm getting that, and I love it. Yeah, is uh, but I always mention that horror movies and comedy are the ones that are the best to be seen with like other people because because you're sharing an experience and you're either laughing or, or you're you're acting out. Oh, totally. And, uh, you're not going to do that in like a, a a quiet drama, most likely. Right, exactly. You're sitting in the dark with a bunch of other people. There is something beautiful about the communal experience of going through a drama together, but it's not the same as, let's say, you know, when I went to go see Austin Powers in the theater and everybody is, is, you know, going nuts laughing. Um, It's just more fun. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So what what made you want to get into acting was there like uh, uh an actor or movie that like uh, or show that you watch like and say this is what i want to do yeah i mean um this I, I've, I've talked about this story before but i'm happy to tell it again um so my uh dad uh, worked for the ford foundation in uh, paris so we moved to france when i was very little and i was deeply alienated as a child because i was like you know uh just turned three uh I basically just learned to talk, and then all of a sudden, people are talking in a different language. Um, and uh, so I, I had a hard time adjusting. And um, my um, my parents made a deal where if my siblings took me, they could take as many of, of their friends as they wanted, my parents would pay the whole thing. So I went to go see movies all the time, because all my siblings wanted to go to different films. Once I figured this out, I... I slimmed it down to the people that I really love, which was uh, Buster Keaton, the Marx Brothers, uh, 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 Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, and uh, um, and especially Charlie Chaplin. And I worked up a little Charlie Chaplin act in my room in our apartment, and um, I went to go see a Charlie Chaplin movie uh, with my fake aunt, uh, and it was my favorite theater because they had live musical accompaniment. They had an organ player that played oh, along, and that was super cool. Um, Anyway, the uh, the film burned, and uh, yeah, it got caught and burned, and and the lights came up and everybody booed, and I thought to myself, I was five. I thought to myself, nobody boos Charlie Chaplin, <laughs> and so I ran in between the screen and the audience, and I started doing my Charlie Chaplin act, and the organ player who was fantastic um, started playing with me. He gave me musical accompaniment to my act, which you know, inspired me to take it in different ways. And um, anyway, uh, I did a little roll, and I, I doffed my um, pantomime hat, and uh, and I got a standing ovation. And that was the moment where I decided I'm going to be an actor. Uh, if that hadn't happened, if the film hadn't gotten caught, I would probably be an academic like the rest of my siblings. What was that? Was uh, did the rest of your family? Did they uh, were they encouraging? Since if they were academics, oh, yeah. you pursuing the, the arts? Yeah, they were great. I mean, that's what's so strange is that they uh, they were completely outside my world, but uh, but always really supportive. Uh, my siblings particularly were fantastic. Um, yeah, I mean, they've always been great and supportive and and really sweet. But uh, yeah, know nothing about the business, which is actually super cool. Yeah, that's very cool. You mentioned uh, about the orchestra, by the way. Uh, one of my favorite experiences going to movies a few years ago for Halloween, they showed the original Phantom of the Opera with the oh, live yeah, that's orchestra. Great. I've seen it on the big screen, yeah. Yeah, with the live orchestra, and it was just it was just a wild experience. Oh, no, it's really, really cool. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, so do, uh, do, do, your, uh, do your siblings see your, your stuff, watch your movies, watch your TV shows? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think my parents ever did... Uh-huh. Um, I'm trying to think. No, I don't think they did, but uh, but my siblings have been fantastic, yeah, all the way through. All right. 
Uh, if I have some questions when I mention you're coming on the show, a lot of people send in some stuff here on uh, social oh, media. Oh, no kidding. I love that. All right. A lot of them are just saying they like you, which which is very nice. Oh, nice. <laughs> That's very sweet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Will Bozarth, he said, uh, it's not really a question, but he said, I met him, I met him randomly on the Henson lot after an improv puppet show by Brian Henson and others. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was really fun. Patton was there that night, too. Oh, really? Yeah, that was good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see. A lot of a lot of people ask about Jethro Bodine, so I guess oh, hilarious. Was like, yeah. <laughs> well, Jethro uh, was fun because yeah. he was just a sweet guy. Um, initially, I kind of did an impression of what Jim Varney was doing, thinking that you know, growing <laughs> up without a dad, okay. as Jethro did, that he would he would have kind of taken on the character of uh, of Jed, which would have been different from what Max did. But uh, then the uh, studio gave me notes saying that they didn't like that. Um, I had just done it in a read-through, so I changed it to the sweet little boy that he ended up being. Um, yeah, it was fun. I, I enjoyed doing the Hillbillies. Um, you know, uh, it was a different, certainly a different experience working with all those stars. You know, I, uh, at mm-hmm. first I was super intimidated, but then I realized they all have their own problems, too. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, it does seem. Um, I remember uh, the first interview I did on the show was uh, I don't know if you know who he is, Sid Haig. Uh, he, yeah. the horror guy. And uh, yeah. I, I, it was the very first in 2006, and so it was a while ago. And I was like, I was a little, a little nervous, obviously. And then, uh, but he's just this really nice guy, very normal guy. He was watching, I think, House on TV, and I was like, oh, he's just, you know, he's just a guy like everybody else. And, yeah, you know, yeah, that's the thing. Recently. Most people are like that. I mean, it, it's rare that you meet someone that is outside of what you would expect someone normal to be like. Uh, but it does happen, but it, it isn't, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, there are some true characters that work in show business and when you meet them, you're like, Oh, okay. You're one of those. You're one of those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Even still every once in a while, cause I had Ed Asner on and, uh, before I was like, man, this, this is Ed Asner. This is like a real icon. I'm going to be, uh, yeah, he's a, but he was like he's a, a legend. Yeah. And he was like super nice and very funny. And oh, he's a, great. Yeah. We did yeah. a series together. He played my dad. Oh, nice. Yeah. And center of the universe. Uh, John Goodman, Gene Smart, Olympia Dukakis played my mom. Um, John Goodman played my brother, older brother. Yeah, it was fun. When you were like, um, I know now, you've you've done a lot of things now, but when you would act with someone who had a lot more experience, like do you just learn from them, just you know, uh, working with them. Oh yeah, totally. I learned a lot from watching Dabney Coleman. Um, timing and uh, also, uh, it's okay for you to. Uh, pick up a line if you have a problem with it and you're unhappy with how it goes because the way they edit it, they're going to, um, you know, they, they're just, they, you don't need to go all the way through the scene, in other words, um, as long as you've nailed it down and the other actor is comfortable with it, um, especially when it's a comedy. Uh, you know, you don't nail a joke and you're on your coverage. In other words, it's your close-up. Just do it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see here. There's a lot of Jethro, but very th- thank you nice. for mentioning Jethro. But uh, J- Jason, yeah, Jason. Well, uh, someone did ask. I can't find it here. But they, uh, did you meet Max Bear Jr. at all when you were yes. playing Jeff? He was doing a Beverly Hillbillies TV special um, shortly after we had um, sh- uh, finished shooting, and uh, it was at uh, CBS Television City, which is right down the street from uh, the neighborhood I've lived basically this entire time. And uh, um, yeah, he was. Uh, so I went and met him, and, and you know it was funny because I'm uh, I'm six two and you know a little over two hundred pounds, so I'm a pretty big guy. Um, and when I was cast, everybody was like, "Yeah, but Max Bear is a really big guy." And I thought, "I'm pretty big. I mean, I'm not yeah. small, especially yeah. when you look at other actors. Like I'm I'm big in comparison to the other actors." Then I met Max. Holy shit, that guy is huge. <laughs> really? Because when I think about it, I he in my mind, I mean, he seems like a like you said, like a fairly big guy but i don't think of him as like a giant guy that's weird well that's because he's standing next to buddy epson and buddy epson is like six five right yeah so people think i'm short because i was standing next to ryan styles for so many years but ryan styles is six seven so <laughs> um you know when you stand next to him yeah you're gonna look small um but uh, anyway max's hand is so enormous it was like grabbing a ham <laughs> I mean, it's huge. And then I remembered, of course, his father was the heavyweight champion of right. the world. Right. And I thought, oh, my God, imagine if that's a fist and then it hits your face. <laughs> yeah. It's like getting smacked in the face with a ham. Mm-hmm. Bad times, yeah. So, so I hope you didn't get in a fight with him. 
Uh, no, but I stabbed him in the back. No, um, <laughs> uh, no, we got along really well. He's, he's, he, was, he was sweet to me. Mm-hmm. See, uh, Jason Erickson wants to know, uh, you think the lounge, uh, you think he lounges, uh, you, do you think, I guess, do you lounge around the house and those American flag zoo bass from Napoleon? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the one regret of my career is that I didn't ask for those pants. <laughs> Right. Well, maybe someone could find them for you. Yeah. No, um, Jerusha, the uh, um, costume director and the wife and co-writer, I think, of uh, uh, American... I'm sorry, I'm saying American Housewife. Of, uh, Napoleon what are we talking Dynamite. about? Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah. Um, she gave them to her brother. Her brother auctioned them off at some point. Okay. That's the, that's the sad there. tale of those pants. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maddie Deering says, does anyone ever bring up the underrated evil alien conquerors? <laughs> Maddie is one of two people that have seen that movie. <laughs> so not a lot of people bring that up. I had a good time. I, I uh, worked, got to work with my longtime friend, uh, Chris Parnell. We went to North Carolina School of the Arts together. So having Chris on the picture was my pitch. And, and uh, Chris, uh, the director and writer, was a really super nice guy. Um, I had a great time shooting it. I don't know how it holds up as a movie. There's one scene that I really like in it when I finally see like the who I think is supposed to be a giant come in and confront me. I'm genuinely terrified, and that holds up to me. Um, I'm glad people like it. I mean, you know, I thought it was a great script. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ken Spires, um, why haven't you played Billy in a Gremlins remake? He thinks you would be perfect. <laughs> I don't know. That's above my pay grade. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll put a word in for you, which will mean absolutely nothing. But, 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 but I'll try to help. Uh, Paul just says he loves you, an American housewife. Uh, Melanie Sweet. McCurdy. McCurdy, if there was any actor he could be on screen with, who would it be? Huh. That's really Charlie interesting. Chaplin. Yeah, sure. Any actor in the history, or uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I guess it could be either way. You know, I uh, I really love Owen Wilson. I'd love to work with Owen Wilson. Um, I think he's a I think he's a really great underrated comic actor. I think he's really brilliant. Um, I uh, I don't know. I mean, there's so many actors I want to work with. It's kind of crazy. I would love to have worked with William uh, Powell. Mm-hmm. Um, I like. I think William Powell was just an amazing actor, really funny and really true. I would have loved to have worked with Bogart and um, Cary Grant, and um, I would have loved, loved, loved to work with a ton of actresses. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean uh, that's what the thing that keeps it interesting is mixing it up. And you know, I have to say, I have been lucky in the last few years working with unbelievably talented people. Um, three of whom are the leads of the shows that are just the best actors I've ever worked with, which is Julia Louise-Dreyfus, Pamela Adlon, and, and, uh, and, and my girl, uh, Katie Mixon, who is really fantastic to work with. A truly great actress. I mean, you know, the frustrating thing about being on a television show is they only use one take, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you could see how she acts take after take after take, it's just so much fun to work with her. It's, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Like I get to work with her, um, so I, you know, I'm I, I'm lucky enough to to work with people like that are just so good, yeah. just so good. Uh, you know, working with Ed and working with uh, John Goodman was also really great, and Gene Smart mm-hmm. and all those guys. It, it was yeah. uh, I've I've been very very lucky. I've been outclassed a ton of times. Um, I loved working with Hugh Laurie, for example, on um, Veep. Like, I was a fan of his for an incredibly long period of time. And I'm sorry, the gardener is really loud. Can you hear that? Yeah, I can hear a little bit. Sorry. It's not, it's not my gardener. It's the neighbor's. I'm going to oh. go inside. All right. My son probably has slept enough at this point. Um, right. Anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, working with Hugh Laurie, because I love bits of Fry and Laurie, the um, uh, um, sketch show. I loved it a lot. And so to, to work with him was a great opportunity for me. And, uh, uh, yeah, so that was fun. I don't know. I I've been very lucky. I'm, I'm knock on wood. I, I've, I've been I've been lucky. So I, I hope to work with more great people in the future. But um, but I will say that right now I'm working with incredible talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nick wants to know uh, some of your uh, favorite memories of playing Oswald on the Drew Carey show. 
Oh, well, any time you get a chance to work with Brian Stiles um, is, uh, is a great opportunity. No, stop, stop. Sorry, my dogs. Okay. Um, yeah, no, uh, uh, I would say probably the live shows were super fun. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, the live shows were super fun to do because we got to improvise. They would ring a bell. Uh, and uh, But, you know, the, it was also just fun to be in front of an audience, especially after the first year. The first year we had some really bad audiences because they didn't know the show and they... Some of them were just getting paid and just showed up. Uh, we had one audience that was uh, half uh, hemp society um, and half Marines. Uh-huh. And the Marines would only hoot when uh, the Kate character, Krista Miller's character, came on. Other than that, they didn't laugh because I thought, think they thought laughing or something was maybe effeminate. I don't know. Um, and, uh, and the hemp society would laugh at every uh-huh. joke, but always too late. So... <laughs> You'd, uh, you'd get like halfway through the next line and then uh, they would laugh. And then what was frustrating was we would do the scene twice in a row, you know, mm-hmm. and they would laugh at exactly the same time. In other words, it was the same joke and they would still not get it until it was too late. <laughs> and and it was really frustrating. Um, uh, so that was a kind of a fun memory anyway. Yeah. Uh, some very weird question. Loki wants to know, uh, I want to know his IQ. They were, they were very curious about your IQ. Oh, I have no idea what it is. I'm, I'm not terribly clever. I know that. <laughs> that's, uh, that's weird. Lots, lots of animated gifts of you with uh, with the uh, American flag pants. Oh, sweet. <laughs> very, very yeah, sweet. Uh, Jay Bradbury, do you prefer voice acting or live acting? Well, when you get to work with somebody like Katie Mixon, live acting makes it more fun. I would say uh, probably my favorite of the whole thing is is doing um, uh, a sitcom in front of a live audience because it's like doing a under rehearsed play. Uh, mm-hmm. I've done the I've done theater and and uh, you know once you get past the third week, it's like okay, <laughs> we're going to do this again, guys. Um, but uh, uh, so I, I have not had the most interesting theatrical career, but, uh, uh, because I've been less interested in it, but being in front of a live audience with a sitcom where they know the characters and you can do these bits and then you can improvise is probably the most fun I've had in show business. Um, uh, voiceovers is really great because you're surrounded by unbelievable talent. It's a really nice, sweet, supportive, uh, group, uh, that I am honored to be a part of. And I feel like an imposter every time I work with them. Um, but you know, working with on-camera stuff has its own appeal too. I mean, as I said, you get to work with somebody like Katie Mixon or, or, uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus or Pam Adland and things are great. But other times, you know, you're working with actors and, um, you're wondering why the hell you're there and, <laughs> and, and then you're there for 14 more hours. And, uh, uh, and so, you know, that, that can be kind of a drag, but, but you got to keep your eyes on the prize that, you know, you're feeding the kids cause that pays the most of any of it. So, um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it all has different things, but I think probably my favorite is sitcom acting. Um, you the immediate response, like you said. Uh, let's see, Jay Pletz. Um, who's fun, more fun to voice, Guy Gardner or Batman? Batman is the greatest role ever. Mm-hmm. Nothing can ever top Batman. But Guy Gardner is fun to do. Um, yeah, I mean, you know... Uh, there's a ton of characters that are really fun to do in the DC world. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean the, the greatest part you'll ever pray, uh, play as a man is, is Batman. Yeah. And you're, you're in a, yeah. And you're in a short list of, uh, people who have, uh, portrayed Batman. Yeah. I can actually honestly say I'm Batman. <laughs> and he adds, uh, I'm a huge DC fan. And so Mr. Bader is right up there in the pantheon of great actors, bringing these roles to life. Oh, that's sweet. I love that. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thank you, Jay. Just a couple more. A lot of people are, you know, it's uh, just saying they like you in different things, but, uh, which is very good. Cool. But, oh, no, uh, it's Rob, great. I, yeah, I just can't read them all, but v- very nice. Of them. Or, or I'll send them to you so you can, uh, you can see Yeah, please. Them. I'd love that. Yeah. Uh, Robert Budzinski. Uh, oh, well, you kind of brought this up, but it's very funny. He says, what would you do with a million dollars? Two chicks at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, uh, again, uh, the last question here was about the Beverly Hillbillies, which seems a very, uh, uh favorite role of yours here amongst yeah, the it's people really interesting. Here. It's kind of stuck around as uh, longer than I thought it would, considering it didn't do very well in the box office. A lot of people really love it. I mean, I, I, I get that all the time. It's, it's kind of shocking because 
Well, number one, of course, it was like 25, 27 years ago, however long ago it was. And, and it still lives on for a lot of people. Um, I guess movies are, I mean, that's the thing about movies is that they, they, they tend to live longer than television. It's, uh, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. When you play a role on, on TV and like, since you're, you're like, you're that character for like so many years, is it, uh, is it harder to, to stop playing that character? Like after a while, oh, no, 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 or is it no. easier? Maybe okay. No, no, no. It's 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 every character is the same. It's just putting on uh, a coat, and um, when you put on a coat that you put on a bunch of times, it's just easier. Um, the Drew Carey Show guys used to make fun of me all the time because they would see me um, turn into Oswald, um, like flipping a switch. And uh, they'd all just start laughing and tease me, like, "Nope, the idiot's back." I <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I got I, I to bring this up because I'm a very cool guy, and this is the proof here is I have a bunch of uh, Masters of the Universe figures here underneath yeah. my computer screen, and one of them is Trapjaw, which right. uh, I understand you'll be uh, you're doing the voice of. Yeah, totally. Yeah, um, yeah. That's thanks to Kevin Smith. Uh, we met uh, doing oh, Jansen wow. and Bob Strike Back. Um, yeah, he's a super nice guy. He's the executive producer and uh, dialogue director, and I guess director. I don't really know, mm-hmm. but uh, but yeah, this is his baby all the way. Um, uh, he's such a nice guy. Yeah, that's interesting because uh, did, did he does he write it or is he like the producer? I think he wrote the pilot episode, and okay. then he he runs the room um, for the rest of the episodes, and then yeah. he's he's there for all the records, and uh, and yeah, as I said, he's a super nice guy. So I know you can't give probably too much away about it, but is it like Masters of the Universe with like a Kevin Smith kind of world to it, or is it more like what we would think of from Masters of the Universe? I will leave that up to the publicists at uh, okay. Masters of the Universe. Um, I will say it does have its own spin to it, and you're going to have to tune in. Um, it's a high production value, that's for sure, so I don't think it's going to disappoint any fans. All right, very good. I grew up with Master Universe of Toys, and I'm very excited about that. And yeah, I had the Kevin, <laughs> I I had the Kevin Smith drink at the at the Star Wars bar, and uh, when I was in L.A. Um, nice. in December, because I I don't drink alcohol, and and I was very happy because actually out in L.A. there's a lot of the bars have mocktails, so you can still get a cool drink if you don't drink alcohol. You don't have to just get yeah. That's uh, frustrating when you leave town because um, uh, uh, I'm I'm work sober, so I don't drink while I'm working. Uh-huh. Um, so you know if you're on location for a while, that means you're you're sober for an awful while, and uh, and when you leave town, a lot of towns don't focus on that. Like you can't go to a bar and order a drink that, uh, you know, other than soda water, that isn't booze. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's basically what I always have. I'll have a cup soda with, and I'll, and I'll be stupid, say I'll be crazy and have a lime in it or something. But Right, yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. But that's the only thing that still tastes like a drink. But, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, in L.A., actually, because there's so many uh, people that are uh, in AA and uh, sober, there's also some that, of course, have just decided for other reasons. But uh, uh, but anyway, they they have a. You'll go to a restaurant and they'll have a ton of of mocktails. It's actually really fun and nice. Yeah, I also found it's, it was easy to eat healthy, and because uh, uh, I've lost 145 pounds in the last 15 months, so I tried to. Oh my god, fantastic! Thank you. And so I tried to eat healthy because I was making a movie out there, which it was hard. I have to say, it's very hard to eat on set because I uh, yeah. eat well on set because. Uh, it was basically just pretzels and stuff. And so I just gave up and say, well, I'm going to have to eat poorly while we're making this and then I'll go back. Yeah. But I know. And also like I lose weight when I'm not working because I, I don't have snacks and I don't, uh you know, yeah. Yeah. But, but was it, Oh, it's easy to eat healthy out there and, and still have good food where I live. If I just eat like healthy, it's basically like a salad. If I go out to eat, which you can't right now. Oh, the, the range for healthy eating in Los Angeles is truly fantastic. You can actually, be a vegan in, I'm not, but you can be a vegan in Los Angeles and, and eat uh, very well. If you were to go on location, I, it would be hard to imagine how you could hold that up. Yeah. Cause the movie I did, uh, the people I did the movie with, uh, they let me sleep at their house, but, uh, they're vegan. Sweet. And, uh, so it was all, uh, so I had vegan, but honestly it was, I, I like the only thing I probably would say I didn't love is the cheese on vegan pizza. But besides that, I yeah, thought everything was very good. No, nobody's nailed the cheese yet. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. But I you know that, that. Uh, the pea tendril thing that tastes like beef or whatever, that really does taste like beef. 
Yeah, honestly, a lot of the stuff, like if I wouldn't have known it was vegan, I would have just thought it was, you know, whatever it's supposed to be. Yeah, like exactly. I, I had jackfruit uh, tacos, and I would have, I would have just thought that was like uh, some type of pork, pulled pork, or carnitas. Or right, something. right, no, it tastes fine. It tastes really good, actually. Yeah, um, yeah, it's funny, but um, you know, the Beyond Burger, or Beyond whatever it's called, mm-hmm. um, we got for my family and uh, my daughter because she's never had red meat. Actually, doesn't like it. Oh, really? That's it. That's actually very interesting. Yeah, because it's supposed to approximate the taste of beef, but uh-huh. if you haven't had beef, it's too strong a flavor. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, huh. I will say, like, at home, I try not to eat the artificial meats. I try to just yeah. eat the whole uh, fruits, which I'm sure no one yeah. cares about this, but but, uh, but anyway, <laughs> but, uh, that's how I cook at home. But, yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, uh, Phoenix, Oregon, I really enjoyed it. And not just because you're here. I really enjoyed nice. it, which I have to, I have to stop saying because – People listen to the show a lot. They pick. They've told me they pick up on that. If I don't add, if you're not here, they think maybe I'm not being completely honest, being sincere. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I can't tell someone like, "Ah, eh, your movie was eh, whatever." But uh, yeah. But no, I Phoenix Oregon's a really good movie, and it's a movie I kind I like. It's it's relatable. Uh, a lot of great actors in it, and it's 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 a it's a nice story. It's actually a feel good movie, and not like a it hokey is. movie. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, I, I would highly recommend it. And it's uh, it's been great Thank to you. talk with you. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah. Yeah, let's do it again sometime. All right, I'd love that. All my high school friends are off in college now. And I get high and watch TV all day. Living in my mother's basement's really not that bad. I got everything I need and I don't pay And I never asked to grow up So please don't make me do it I wasn't meant to grow up Don't think I'll make it through it Things have been going south since I hit puberty It looks like growing up is just too much for me And playing ball Then came my school classes That I couldn't understand And girls who wouldn't notice me at all But I never asked to grow up So please don't make me do it I wasn't meant to grow up Don't think I'll make it through it Things have been going south since I But I say not now No, not right now But when they say I need to get alive